0: Good morning, Life Church Buffalo. How many of you are excited to be in God's house today? Make some noise. All right. Not bad for a nine o'clock service on Sunday morning. As you just heard my wife say, my name is Pete, in case you're new with us. I'm the co pastor here, and I am excited to be here. Um, I'm trusting that you've enjoyed your experience with us so far here today and look forward to connecting with you after the service is over. But as you just heard, we are continuing a discussion that we started last week. Uh, where the Bible talks about we're trying to figure out what it means for us as followers of Jesus Christ to love our neighbor as ourself. And in particular, who is our neighbor and how do we love those who are different from us? Last week, we talked about loving people of different skin color and of different races, and we had a candid conversation with our friend Pastor DeMont and my friend John Fanning as we talked about racism and, and faith and how our faith plays a role in that. But today, we're going to tackle a, or try to tackle another really small social issue and talk about poverty. I mean, uh, this series, no doubt, has been extremely uh, challenging for me to talk about these issues and our role as Christ followers in loving our neighbor. I mean, these are, these are big issues, and it's been hard for me to try to figure out a way to present this um, to help us understand how we neighbor. And so the topic today, I have no doubt, is probably near and dear to many of your hearts. I know that many of you, when you see need You want to help it, but I want to do more than just help the poor. I want to empower the poor to realize the life that God has for them and to love them out of poverty. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. The title of my message is just that. It's Empowering the Poor. But before I dive into anything too heavy this morning, uh, let me ask this question. How many of you here today have ever said the words, I'm so broke that fill in the blank? Anybody going to be honest with me this morning? Okay, we've got a handful of honest people. Maybe the rest of you have just always had abundance, and I uh, envy you for that. But uh, I have definitely used the words, I am so broke that we can't go out to dinner this week. Sorry, honey. Uh, I'm so broke that I can't afford that really nice pair of shoes that I want to get. Uh, But in preparation for this message, I actually Googled the words, I'm so broke. Just to kind of get a perspective of what some of the other people's struggles with. And I want to, just for fun today, share some of those things that I found with you. Uh, one person said this on Twitter, on Twitter. He said, I'm so broke, my baloney has no first name. If you're under 40, you may not understand that, but uh, this next guy said, I'm so poor, I rub cologne from magazines on my shirt. And when people ask me what that is because it smells good, I tell them it's page five. <laughs> This other person said, I'm so broke that I emailed the Obama administration and asked them if they could spare some change I could believe in. Boom boom. bum Yeah, I thought that one was fitting considering the uh, election season of craziness that we are in right now. Uh, This person said, and I don't know if this is funny or gross, but this person said, I'm so broke I'd go to KFC to lick other people's fingers after they're done eating. All right, that's broke and nasty, all right? If you're going to be broke, just be broke. Don't be nasty, though, okay? Whew. But poverty is relative to where you are. Maybe, you know, your 14-year-old would say, we're so broke, I can't afford to get the next new, newest iPhone. Whatever it is, it's relative. But the reality is that there are many people, um, maybe in, a, in our own backyard or just down the street from us, that are struggling with poverty. Maybe you yourself here this morning are would say that you're in a place of deep need and you're not sure what to do or how you're going to pay your bills. Some of you maybe like me who have been on missions trips to developing countries and third world nations and have seen poverty that looks very different from the poverty that we even maybe see down the street from us. When I was in middle school, I went with my youth group. We lived in Sacramento, California at the time and we took a missions trip down the coast of California to Tijuana, Mexico. And we actually did some ministry in the garbage dumps there. And it's hard to even, you know, at the time, I think I was 12 years old, encapsulate or understand what I witnessed with my eyes, where entire, not just like a shack here or there, but like entire villages lived in the garbage dump. Shacks made of corrugated tin or cardboard with a sheet, you know, covering the door where five, six, maybe seven people would live in this 10 by 10 shack, literally sitting on a mound of garbage. There'd be a bucket in the corner that they would use for a toilet. You know, while we might say, man, there's nothing to eat in the refrigerator, they would never say that because they don't have a fridge. They scrounge for food every day. They have no running water. So whether it's poverty like that or poverty down the road from us, no doubt that all poverty is real. And so what I want to talk about today is how do we, as followers of Jesus Christ, empower those who are in need in a way that would honor Christ? You know, and what's really interesting to me is that in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells a parable or a story of what it will be like when he comes back for his people. He says, I'm going to separate those who are mine from those who are not mine. And I'm going to say to those who are mine, to the sheep, he calls them, you know, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. And when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I had nothing to wear, you put clothes on my back. And when I was in prison, you came to visit me. And those who belong to Jesus are going to say, well, Jesus, when did those things happen? When were you hungry and we gave you something to eat? And when were you thirsty and when we we gave you something to drink? And Jesus, when did you not have any clothes and, and we clothed you? And when did we come visit you in prison? And Jesus is going to say this to them in return. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, he says this, Truly I tell you that whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, say the next part with me, you did for me. You did for me. Think about that for a minute. Let that sink in that whenever you use something you have to give to somebody who doesn't have what they need, you are actually ministering to and blessing Jesus himself. That is how special it is to give to the poor, to help those who are in need, to make a difference in this world. Perhaps that's why in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17, it says this, that if you help the poor You are lending to the Lord. You are actually giving to God himself when you help the poor. And one of Jesus' disciples, John, said this in his letter, and this is a verse that will stun you into silence if you consider for a moment the weight and the power behind these verses. John said this in verse 17 of chapter 3 of 1 John. If anyone has material possessions, who here today has material possessions? Just about all of us, I think. So if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? That stings a little bit. That's some strong words. That if we see a brother or sister in need and we have material possessions and we're not moved with compassion to help them, John says, how can God's love be in you? That's convicting. He goes on to say this in verse 18. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but how are we called to love? With actions and in truth. We're not just gonna say, oh, somebody should do something about that need over there. We're not just gonna talk about it. I believe that God has called us, the church, to be the hope of the world, to take the resources that he has entrusted to us to bless others, and to love others out of poverty into a place of wholeness. But how do we do that? How do we do that? That's that's the question. Because I know you want to. When you see a need, you're moved to meet that need. You're a human being. But how do we do that? You want to do something, but the problem is, so many times we just don't know what to do. We don't know how to do it, and we don't know how to get it right. So this morning, in an attempt to get it right, what I want to do is sort of try to, I don't know, lay a foundation for us as we together try to wrap our minds around what poverty really is. You know, there's a book that if you want to read up on this or study it, I would highly recommend the book, When Helping Hurts. A colleague of mine at Crossroads Church, where I've been on staff at the last several years, told me about this book, and it's probably the best book written on the topic, where it really articulates a biblically-based framework concerning the root causes of poverty and its alleviation. It will really empower you with the knowledge needed to help those in need in a way that truly lifts them up and isn't just providing a handout. But what is poverty? The book states it this way. They say this, most Americans define poverty as a lack of something material. If I were to ask you or if we were to go out onto the street and ask 10 random people what is poverty to you, they might say, you know, it's it's when you don't have enough money to, you know, buy the basic necessities of life or, you know, when you don't have adequate housing or when you don't have running water or, you know, they might say something like that if you don't have good health care. To most Americans, poverty is the lack of something material. On the other hand, though, there was a group that surveyed 60,000 poor people in low-income countries, and their response was a little bit different. This is how the poor people defined poverty. The truly poor defined poverty as a mindset, as a mindset. They never said it was lacking something material. They never said, oh, man, I wish I could get that nice pair of jeans. No, instead, it was a mindset that when you heard the responses over and over again, 60,000 people, you heard things like, It's a deep sense of shame. I feel very ashamed that I can't do more, that I can't make it out of this situation. They said there's an ongoing feeling of worthlessness. They used the word fear over and over again. They used the word humiliation. They used the word hopeless again and again. It's a sense of being trapped. They would say, I don't know how to get out of this. I don't have any access to education to better myself. I don't even have an address where I could go fill out a job application to try and make some money to get myself out of this situation. It's hopeless for me. It's almost as if poverty becomes their identity. That is their reality. It's a mindset. And so if we truly wanna empower those who are struggling, we need to understand that we don't just give them what they need to make it through the day we need to help change the way people think, okay? If it's really a a mindset, we need to help turn that mindset from one that is hopeless to helping them see the hope that is available in Jesus Christ and that he has given us access to him and the power to change our circumstances and our situation. What we wanna do is we wanna help in a way that doesn't hurt you know, so many times as North Americans, we think we know what will help somebody, but we end up helping in a way that really hurts in the end. You know, I recently heard a story of a church um, that had gone onto a missions trip, and they took hundreds and hundreds of t-shirts with them that were, they were planning on giving away to the people in the villages that they were going to be ministering to. And so they come in and they're like, come get your free T-shirts. And the kids loved it. They swarmed them and all this stuff. And it wasn't until day three that they realized that there were actually three ladies who had a business of making shirts that they tried to sell to earn a living for themselves that they used to put food on the table and feed their children. Do you see how we can often sometimes in an attempt to help people end up actually hurting them? good intentions. But by giving them a handout, we're actually insulting them in the process. You know, there's another uh, story of a small group that I heard of recently that uh, adopted a family for the holidays. They adopted a family for Christmas. And, and my small group, Kelly and I were part of a small group that did this last Christmas too. And it, it was incredible. But this one small group I heard of, you know, decided to do that. And so they found a family in need that had a bunch of kids and uh, weren't going to be able to provide a great Christmas for their kids. And so they brought all of these gifts and they brought the whole small group together. And on Christmas Eve, showed up on this family's doorstep to deliver these, these gifts to the family. And as they're walking up, the small group leader realizes, wow, we have got a lot of gifts here, and this is a really small house. We might be overwhelming them a little bit with this. But nonetheless, they walk in, and the kids are having a blast as they're distributing these gifts to all the kids. And small group leader watches as the dad goes to the opposite corner of the living room and sits in the chair and puts his face in his hands as he just shakes his head. And shame, and he realized in that moment, what they didn't realize is that in their attempt to be a blessing to this family, they basically said to this man in front of his wife and kids, you can't provide for your family and so we're gonna do it for you. Totally good intentions. Their heart was pure in it. But what they didn't realize is that they were bringing shame onto a man who was doing the best that he could to provide for his family. So here's what we wanna recognize this morning is that all poverty is the root of brokenness. If you're taking notes today, I want you to write that down. We need to understand that the root of all poverty is brokenness. It starts with a, a broken relationship with God. When Adam and Eve first sinned, creation in a sense was broken and tainted by sin. And so there are people today that go without because of the results of sin. It's also a result of a broken relationship with ourself. If I've got a bad self-esteem and I don't recognize that I am made in the image of God and I have access to his power within me to better myself, to better my family, to better my situation, and therefore I feel hopeless to even bother trying. Brokenness with self. There's also brokenness in our relationships with others. For example, if you have a need but you're too embarrassed or ashamed to admit that or, or to say that you need help, and I'm too wrapped up in my own world, and I'm too self-absorbed, and I could meet that need, but I don't because I'm I'm too busy doing my own thing. Because of broken relationships with others, instead of serving one another, we don't. Why? Because all poverty is a result of brokenness. And listen, there's not just material poverty, guys. I hope you recognize that. There's relational poverty. Some of the Richest people in the world are the poorest when it comes to relationships, and vice versa. Some of the poorest people in the world are rich in relationships. There's also spiritual poverty, but the result of all poverty, no matter what kind it is, is brokenness. That's why it was so life-changing when Jesus rolled into Nazareth and walks into the temple and opens up the scroll to the book of Isaiah. And this is recorded in Luke chapter four. And look at what he says from the book of Isaiah. He quotes, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim, what did he say? Good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then just a couple of verses later it says then Jesus declared today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, I am the fulfillment of those verses. What was Jesus saying? He was basically saying, I'm that guy. I came to declare freedom for the oppressed. I have good news for the poor. What we need to understand is that Christ saves, Christ heals, Christ came to redeem the poor and the brokenhearted. There's three people that agree with that statement this morning. (laughs) The root problem of poverty is brokenness, and Jesus is the one that binds up the brokenhearted. When we understand that at its root, poverty is a mindset more than it is a lack of something material. And when we understand that Jesus is the answer to the brokenness that creates that mindset, then it changes how we help and empower those to come out of poverty into the life of wholeness that God has created them for. Because Jesus said, I have come that you would have life and have it to the full. That would not include poverty. Jesus came to bring life to the fullest, to everyone. And so how do we live this out? Because we're called to this. We do not understand that as Christ followers, our church, the church, is called to this, to help empower people to live a life of abundance. But How do we do that? What do you do when you see a guy on a street corner with a sign begging for money? How do we do that? What do you do when you see need around you and you don't know how to respond when somebody in your small group or somebody down the street from you or in your family loses their job? How do we live this out? What do you do when you see a global need like those commercials of starving children in Africa or you know they're asking for, for pennies you know, during the month to contribute towards something that would give mosquito nets to people in parts of the world where malaria is an epidemic? How do we respond to those needs? There's three thoughts that I wanna give you today as we talk about how do we help in a way that doesn't hurt. We don't wanna just give a handout. We wanna love our neighbor in a way that honors Christ. So how do we help in a way that doesn't hurt? Three quick thoughts I wanna give you this morning as we seek to understand this together, as we look to the Lord to help us understand how to neighbor those who are poor. And the first thing that we're called to do is that we're called to serve others, not save others. We're called to serve people, not save people. Listen to me, church. It is insulting and dangerous to think that we are someone's answer. We're not the answer. Jesus is the answer. We are the servants. He is the Savior. He is the power. We are just conduits to his power. We don't save people. We serve people. Jesus saves people. But how does he want us to serve? This is really important. What I wanna to do today is we look at how do we serve people in this way? I wanna break it down into two different thoughts, okay? The first thing we're gonna do is we're gonna to try to offer relief to people and we're gonna to work to restore people. Relief and restoration are how we serve people. Relief and restoration, both different, but both important. I'm gonna give you a definition this morning for relief. Relief is immediate and temporary help during and after a crisis, Immediate and temporary help during and after a crisis. So a tornado comes and wipes out a neighborhood. An earthquake, you know, demolishes a village. A hurricane hits a city. Or maybe in your world, somebody loses a job. Or a relative is diagnosed with stage four cancer. What do we do? How do we offer relief to them in that moment? Someone gets in a car accident. And they're in really rough shape in the hospital. Relief would come in to provide assistance, immediate and temporary relief to help that person be sustained through that tragedy. That's relief. But then there's restoration. And we've got to get this part too, because so oftentimes we stop with relief. Restoration is a long term relationship to rebuild wholeness. The tornado hits, the hurricane hits. The earthquake hits, and all of a sudden there's news on the scene, and there's a lot of attention being paid to it for five or six days anyway until the next major event happens, and then the news goes away. But there's still a whole lot of people that are trying to rebuild their lives. And I believe the church is called to stay when the rest of the world has moved on because we want to be a people that don't just provide relief, we want to help rebuild lives. We want to help rebuild homes and communities and help people discover that God still has a plan for their life. It's about restoring God-designed wholeness. This is essentially what the Good Samaritan did, isn't it, when he found that Jewish guy beaten up, bleeding on the side of the road? He offered relief and restoration. He came along. And what did he do? He gave him oil for his wounds. He bandaged him up. He said, here, let me help you get to a point where you can be made well. He offered him relief immediately after he was mugged. But then what did he do? He put him on his donkey and essentially took him to a bed and breakfast, gave the innkeeper some money and said, here, take care of this guy. I've got some business to take care of, but I'm gonna come back. Why? Because I wanna help you rebuild your life. It's relief and restoration. This is what we're called to as the church, a long-term relationship to rebuild and restore wholeness. This is why Kelly and I sponsor a compassion child. Some of you, I know, do this as well. It's not just providing a handout. It's a long-term relationship intended to provide this child, whose name is Benaiah. We've been doing it for, what, probably five or six years now. I think he's 14 or 15 years old. For $35 a month, We give him access to education and clothing and medical uh, assistance when he needs it. And most importantly, the life-changing message that Jesus is the answer. I was just at Kingdom Bound last week and got to hear the testimony of a man who came from Nigeria who was a compassion child. And he shared the story of how, because of the support he received from somebody who cared enough to give $35 a month He was able to rise above the poverty that the rest of his people lived in, and he made a life for himself because he knew that Jesus called to give us life to the fullest. It's a long-term relationship to rebuild wholeness. So when you give, and I know all of you want to, we're moved when we see need, but don't just be a reactive giver. Okay, think about it, pray about it, strategize and partner with ministries and agencies that are are providing relief and restoration with excellence to people that are not just giving handouts, but helping to rebuild lives and help people see God's plan for them. The second thing we're called to do is we're called to relate with people, not just rescue people. We're called to relate with people, not rescue them. This is so important. This may be the most important thing that some of you hear me say today. Because listen, the people who are struggling are not projects that we help. They are people that we love. I'm gonna say that again. People who are struggling are not projects to help. They are people we love. We need to get that. There may be a time when I face something, a tragedy or hurt or something happens where I'm gonna need help. And when that happens, I don't want to be your project. I need people who are going to love me. People who are poor, whose identity and mindset is wrapped up in that being who they are, need to know that they're not just somebody's pet project. They want to know, do I matter? Do I matter to you? Am I worthy of love? We're called to relate with people, not rescue them. I'll give you a quick story of an example of how, as a leader in the church, I think I might have gotten this wrong. Uh, Last year, I mentioned a few minutes ago that uh, my wife and I, and our small group that we were a part of, did sponsor a family for Christmas. And it was an amazing opportunity, but we found out about this one family through uh, our big give, the church that we were a part of every year did a big give towards the end of the year um, in providing relief to people in the community that were struggling. Two years ago, we passed out over a thousand winter coats uh, to kids in underprivileged neighborhoods and then last year our big give uh, was that we went into two different elementary schools uh, in low income areas and we put brand new sneakers on every kid in grades K through five in two different elementary schools. It was a phenomenal outreach we had had such a blast, and the kids were so grateful, and we got so many um, responses from parents whose kids came home that day not expecting to walk home with a brand new pair of sneakers. And this one woman in particular wrote in on the church's Facebook wall and just thanked us. Um, She couldn't thank us enough for what a blessing that was to her who her son needed shoes desperately. There were holes in the toes of his shoes, but she couldn't afford to buy him new shoes because her life had fallen apart that year. And her story, her story struck me so much that I reached out to her and I was able to get her phone number. And I called her and I said, I just you know, want to thank you for taking the time to say thank you on our wall. you know? um, And she provided to give me a little bit more of her backstory and told me that, you know, that year her whole world had fallen apart. She's like, I don't... I don't go to church. I don't know you guys. The fact that you would buy new shoes for a bunch of kids that you don't even know. I don't understand that kind of generosity. I've never seen that before. But, you know, my husband of 14 years walked out on me earlier this year. I found out he's been having an affair for three years, living a double life. And he decided he wanted to go and live the life he was having with the other woman. And now here I am with two kids trying to figure out how to make ends meet, not knowing if I'm going to be able to pay my rent. And I, I for sure don't know how I'm going to give my kids Christmas this year. And so I had this idea that I presented to my small group after I spoke with her on the phone. I said, hey, guys, what do you think about, you know, adopting Kelly, this little woman's name was Kelly, and her, her two kids for Christmas this year. Let's provide them the Christmas that she's not going to be able to provide them with. And they were all for it. Everybody got on board with it. So I called her back, and I told her what we wanted to do. I said, hey, listen, Kelly, we know you're struggling right, right now, and we just want to come alongside of you and help you provide the Christmas for your kids that I know you want to but may not be able to this year because of what you're going through. And so if you would give us the names and ages of your kids and the kind of things that they're into, we'll go ahead and buy gifts for them, hopefully gifts that they'll like, and we'll find a way to get them to you. And she was just blown away. She's like, why would you do that for me? I don't know you. I don't come to your church. I don't even believe in God, but I don't, thank you. And so she gave me all that stuff, and so we disseminated the list amongst our small group members, and we had a blast doing it, and we made arrangements for this woman to come and pick the gifts up from our house, and she was just overwhelmed with gratitude. She cried. She gave us a thank you card. And, you know, as a small group, we felt so good about being such good Jesus followers and helping people who were in need. But guess how many times we've we've reached out to her since then? Zero. We're called to relate with people, not rescue them. We didn't take the time to get to know Kelly and maybe even see if there was a way we could come alongside of her and find out what she really needed beyond the immediate. Maybe we could connect her with a ministry or an agency that could provide her some resources that could help her take a step towards alleviating the burdens that she was feeling in that moment. We're called to relate with people, not rescue them. People who are struggling are not projects that we help They are people that we're called to love. What do you need that we can help you with? Because what we don't want to do, we don't want to do for somebody else what they can do for themselves. We need to understand that. Helping the poor is not about giving them a handout. It's about coming alongside of them and offering them assistance to help them achieve what they want to do. You could use this with your kids too. Don't do for them what they can do for themselves. And that's how we neighbor the poor till we relate with them and we come alongside of them because when they are able to accomplish what they wanna do, it gives them a sense of accomplishment and pride and forward movement and helps them to believe that they are not, their identity is not poverty, that they're somebody who's made in God's image. We're called to relate with them, not rescue them. And the last thing that we're called to do is that we're called to reach out, not reach down. We're called to reach out, not reach down. We're never reaching down as if we are better than somebody else. We're reaching out because I care about you and I love you. When we reach out to people, we're essentially saying, hey, guess what? I'm poor too. I'm a struggler too. I don't have the answers. I'm reaching out because I love you and I care about you. As a person. Because guess what, guys? We're all broken in some way. We've all experienced poverty in some way. Even if we don't know what material poverty is, every single one of us has experienced spiritual poverty at one point. We recognize that we were dead in our sins. So we're called to reach out to people in love, not reach down as if. We're better than them, coming across as the heroes. Maybe one of the best examples I can give you this morning of this is, you know, I make a lot of references to our small group because they were such a a lifeline for us during our time in Ohio. And I don't know if this was last summer or the summer before, uh, but there was something that happened that really kind of came to my mind as I was writing this message to illustrate this point that we reach out, we don't reach down because the people that we reach out to end up oftentimes being a blessing more of a blessing to us than we ever were able to be to them. Because two summers ago, you know, I was cooking dinner on my back patio and we lived in a neighborhood um, where the homeowners association didn't allow fences, okay? So all of the houses backed up to each other and it was like a big communal backyard and there were tons of kids in the neighborhood Okay, and you know it was not uncommon for the neighbors' kids to be out playing, and my kids would see them and go out playing, and then my neighbors' kids would see, and they'd come out. The next thing you know, all the parents are out and they're hanging out, having a good time. I'm trying to cook dinner for my family, and the next thing I know, there's like 12 people on my back patio. And Kelly has this great idea: let's just have a big cookout for the whole neighborhood. And I'm like, how are we going to do that? She's like, I just went shopping. Now you got to understand: when we went to Ohio, we went there with the assumption that she was going to be able to keep doing her photography thing. For those of you that don't know my wife, before we moved there, she had a very successful photography business here in Buffalo, and our plan was that she was going to continue that when we moved there. And after, I don't know, six months, maybe almost a year of trying to get that thing up and going and off the ground, we just realized that maybe God was shutting the door on that season of our lives. Kelly felt that God told her that well has dried up. I want you to trust me. And she felt very led and impressed that she wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. And so we made the decision and made some financial sacrifices to afford her that opportunity. And so we were a one-income family. We went down to one vehicle to make that possible. Uh, And so we lived on a very, very tight budget, very tight budget. Kelly shopped at Aldi's because that was the cheapest place we could get food, and so we were very strategic about what we bought. We bought things that we could make stretch, and so here we are. She had just gone shopping that day, and I'm out on the back deck making dinner for my family, and she says, let's cook food for the whole neighborhood, and I'm like, with what? She's like, just cook up the rest of the chicken I just bought from Aldi. I'm like, babe, that's our dinners for the next two weeks, how are we going to eat if we cook food for everybody? She's like, we'll make mac and cheese or I'll cook spaghetti or something. It'll be fine. Let's just, you know, and so we ended up cooking for the whole neighborhood. Some people that went to our church, some people that didn't. And um, I was like, okay, whatever, you know? And so I don't know how, but somebody from our small group Either caught wind of the fact that we had just cooked all of the meat we had in our freezer. We emptied our freezer, not of the meat that we just bought, but all the stuff we had, all the hot dogs, all the hamburgers, that all went on the grill as we're just feeding the neighborhood. So, this couple in our small group, Glenn and Aaron McGillivary, find this out. And two days later, um, I get a knock on my door one night. I don't think Kelly was home. She was at worship practice or something that night. I open the door, and it's Glenn and Aaron. And they hand me a letter. they, as I read it, they wanted me to read it to them before they did what they were about to do. And they basically just said, hey, you know, you are such a blessing to so many people and you give without thinking about the personal cost to you. And we want you to know that when you give, you do receive and God sees your generosity. And so they said, okay, boys, go ahead. And they went back to their minivan and all four of their boys started unloading bag after bag after bag. Of groceries, And they overloaded my kitchen island with more groceries than we had just given away, more groceries than we had just bought. And I realized, you know what? I'm poor too sometimes. I've never gone without. But in some way, shape, or form, every single one of us has experienced poverty. And when we relate with others, when we reach out to others and not reach down to others, the people that we end up trying to be a blessing to end up being more of a blessing to us in return because we're not trying to show people that we're better than them and that we have the answers. We're always fellow brothers and sisters in Christ reaching out in love because Jesus reached out to us and so that's how he's called us to love our neighbor in return. We're called to reach out, not reach down. You know, Brene Brown, some of you may know that name. She's a researcher and an author said this about this particular subject. She said, I quote, we've divided the world into those who need help and those who offer help. The truth is, she says, we're both. I love that. We need to recognize that. We are both. We're both. The next time you have a desire to do something when you see a need or in your community, Don't be a reactive giver. Think about ways that you can be strategic about how we're called to love our neighbor. We're called to serve others, not save them. We're called to relate with them, not rescue them. We're called to reach out, not reach down. Get to know the people that you're helping. Take time, then take what you have, the the, the resources, the money that you have, your time, your talents, and give it to people who are in need, working to empower them towards wholeness. Listen, we have poor neighbors down the street from us and we have poor neighbors across the sea from us. So as I close this morning, I'm actually gonna just give you two ways that we can apply this to our lives even this week, all right? Poor neighbors across the street, poor neighbors across the sea. The first opportunity I'm going to tell you right now, the second opportunity I'm going to tell you after I close, we're actually going to take up a missions offering after I pray, but the first opportunity is right here in our own backyard. Because God has called us to not to love not just with words, but with actions and in truth. Life Church Buffalo has part up with the Response to Love Center, which exists and I love this. I pulled this off of their website. Part of their mission is to empower the poor to make positive changes in their personal lives and encourage self-sufficiency. That's part of their mission statement. My title of this message today was empowering the poor. So I thought it was so timely that my wife had coffee with an old friend of hers a couple weeks ago and found out about this opportunity that this Catholic organization is putting on with this personal care items drive to help meet the needs of people who are need, these basic necessities. And so for the next two weekends, if you guys wanna partner with us in this, I would encourage and challenge you to do so. It doesn't take a lot to go to the drugstore and pick up some toothpaste and some body wash and some shampoo and some feminine hygiene products. The list is on the screen, I hope. Yes, make a list of this, write it down, bring some of these things back with you for the next two weekends. We're gonna have a collection spot where we can collect these items and partner with an agency that is providing relief and restoration. This is not a handout, guys. They exist to empower the poor, to bring them to a point of self-sufficiency. Let's be the church. Let's not just talk about it. Let's do it. Let's put it into action this week. Can we do that, church? Can I pray for you today?